Welcome in. It is the Chiefs Don't Podcast. I'm Farzee Masugian here with you for another episode. About to get into a fairly quiet week for the Kansas City Chiefs, but still some topics worth talking about here on this episode. I want to talk about Pat Mahomes, a little bit more about what to expect from him and how the Chiefs are going about him, are really going about with their expectations for him in year one, I think. We already know what the Chiefs' expectations are from Mahomes. I'll talk about that in just a moment. One player visited the Chiefs, worked out with them, but decided to sign with another team. I'll tell you who that is. And one contract on the Chiefs right now might surprise you. Plus, later on in the podcast, I want to talk about an NFL cheerleader who is filing an equal employment opportunity complaint about the NFL. And the details on this are pretty interesting. Something you'll definitely want to hear later on in the podcast. Plus, one person who I have criticized quite a lot, Ronda Rousey, for not doing interviews because of her losses. She's finally done some interviews talking about her MMA losses or or MMA in general. And, oh boy, uh, just her response to some of these really valid questions... They're just not good. They're actually quite embarrassing. And it is definitely worth talking about at the end of the podcast during our closing segment. So a lot to get into on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Hope you all had a great weekend back here in KC. And the Jayhawks in the Final Four. I'll definitely talk about that as well. Because I've been a big critic of Bill Selfs. And, uh, of course, he did a lot in this tournament. Jayhawks, of course, a lot of people very excited right now. Uh, it's always good, and I, I know here in Kansas City, we're, we're divided when it comes to college teams. We've got some KU fans, K-State fans, Mizzou fans in the area, a little bit of Iowa, Iowa State, Nebraska, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, some of the other Big 12 teams uh, in the state of Texas, uh, a couple of SEC teams as well. So uh, we've got a lot of different fan bases in the area, so not everyone's necessarily thrilled with that, and I understand that as well, but... Nonetheless, I, I think it's always cool in a way if, if you can see it objectively for just a moment. Always cool to see uh, a team uh, from the area make it to the Final Four. Almost had two teams, KU and K-State, make it to the Final Four. But uh, nonetheless, some uh, some success locally with the college teams. Uh, it, it, as always, it's always a very intriguing NCAA tournament. There's always that one team uh, unexpectedly. Uh, just about every year that makes it to the Final Four that nobody saw coming in this year's Loyola College with Sister Jean, who I don't know, I, 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 like I think I think we've got to find a way, just get a petition, something to convert Sister Jean into a Kansas City Chiefs fan by the time football season kicks off. I, I think you have to do that at this point. Take her out of Chicago, take her away from the Bears, bring her to Kansas City, and make her a Chiefs fan. Yeah, I mean, give her all the. Give her the VIP treatment in Kansas City from the when the preseason starts, just for good luck with injuries, all the way until the Super Bowl. It's worth a try. You never know. But nonetheless, very exciting NCAA tournament as always, and definitely looking forward to see what the Kansas Jayhawks can do this weekend. Lots to get into on this podcast. Again, very quiet week once again for the Kansas City Chiefs. They were very active in the first wave of free agency. Not a whole lot going on. Uh, but there are a couple of things worth discussing here on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Before I get into all of that, I want to let you guys know, social media, a big part of the podcast. Definitely want you guys 
to be part of the interaction. Let me know your guys' thoughts on anything that I discuss here. If you guys want to react to anything on Facebook, Twitter, email, very easy to do. And you guys have been great with that this offseason. Uh, really over the past year, uh, started at the beginning of last season before the season kicked off and all the way up until now, uh, the social media activity has been great, a lot better than it has been in past years. So I definitely appreciate all of you guys for not just listening, but also interacting with me on social media as well. Facebook, very easy, facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That is my Facebook page. Like and follow me there. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And you guys can also send me an email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. All right, where to start? Let's go to the story first where Benjamin Watson, a longtime tight end in the NFL and a former Super Bowl champion, he has decided to sign with the New Orleans Saints, worked out with the Kansas City Chiefs, met with them on a couple of other teams as well, but decided to go with the Saints at the end of the day. Now, did the Chiefs suffer a big loss on this one? Probably not. I don't think it's a big deal necessarily, but... Uh, but we're not exactly sure what kind of a QB Pat Mahomes will be. And why do I tie in Pat Mahomes with Benjamin Watson moving to another team? Well, I'll tell you why. The Chiefs have two speedy wideouts, which should benefit Mahomes. And really any quarterback in the NFL. But what about having two reliable tight ends? Is having two reliable, and when I say reliable, I'm talking about starting caliber tight ends a necessity for this team. Maybe not for other teams, but maybe for this style of offense. I think so. If you ask me that question, should the Chiefs have two starting caliber tight ends? If you ask me this question before 2017 with Alex Smith at the time being the quarterback, I say absolutely. Alex Smith works great with tight ends. Vernon Davis over in San Francisco, Travis Kelsey here in Kansas City, Those who have had some great years because of Alex Smith. And those tight ends have also made Alex Smith better. And keep an eye on Alex Smith because I think it'll be interesting to see what he does with Jordan Reed in Washington. And also Vernon Davis, uh, who he's reuniting with in Washington. Of course, his new team now in the NFL. And I think Reed and Davis are going to do really well with Smith there. Because Smith does really well on an offense where he's very active. In a tight end friendly offense where... You work with these tight ends often, and I would, I'd be really curious to see what kind of a career Tony Gonzalez would have had if he had a quarterback like Alex Smith, who threw the ball quite a lot to tight ends in his career. And again, we saw Alex Smith in 2017. I say before 2017 with Alex Smith, I think the Chiefs should have had two viable tight ends because... We didn't see Alex Smith do a whole lot of deep passes, as as we all know. But in 2017, we saw Alex Smith sling the ball a whole lot more and do all kinds of things uh, that we've never seen from him and was tabbed as the league MVP through the first half of the season. Now, we've had this discussion before. I don't want to get too much into details with that. Why did Smith suddenly start playing so great in 2017? Sure, the Mahomes pick probably put pressure on him to do well. I think Tyreek Hill, his transition... Uh, going from running back to being a primary wide receiver on this football team uh, while still being an offensive weapon in other areas. That certainly had a hand in Kansas City's success offensively this past year and helping Alex Smith uh, have the best season of his career. But Alex never had this kind of success before. And we thought that he had reached his potential and he couldn't play any better when he ended up doing a whole lot better. So 
pre-2017 with Alex Smith, I would have I would have been completely open to the idea. I would have been a huge fan of the idea if the Chiefs could have added another tight end opposite of Kelsey. I did call uh, for the Chiefs to try to draft Max Williams, the tight end. I can't remember where he was from. I want to say from Wisconsin or Minnesota, uh, somewhere up north. I want to say it was Minnesota now that I think about it. But uh, Chiefs didn't draft him in the second round. He moved on. uh, He got drafted elsewhere. But I thought that would have been a great addition for the Kansas City Chiefs offense. And really what could have done, what that could have done, excuse me, with Alex Smith in this style of offense. And we did not end up seeing that in Kansas City. Now, we've had Demetrius Harris. He's been a long-time backup of Travis Kelsey's here in Kansas City. And Demetrius Harris, he's I mean, he, he is pretty similar to Travis Kelsey where he has that speed. Obviously not the greatest when it comes to pulling in a football. Fairly known for drops. Uh, but again, uh, he's a backup tight end for a reason. Uh, but I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised since Andy Reid got here and during Alex Smith's time, the Chiefs never put uh, really any emphasis or any effort in trying to bring in another starting caliber type of tight end opposite of Kelsey. I'm not necessarily saying a Pro Bowl level type of guy, but I, basically I guess the best comparison would have been would be Rob Gronkowski and... Aaron Hernandez when they were both with the Patriots. Now, Tom Brady, of course, I mean, he's a big reason why a backup like Hernandez had success when he was in the NFL at the time. So, uh, I mean, that's the kind of comparison uh, that I'm trying to make here in terms of what I was hoping Kansas City would have done. And they never really had that kind of offense under Alex Smith. Now, again, this goes back to Patrick Mahomes. What does this have to do with him? Well, Obviously, this is going to be his first year as the starting quarterback of the Chiefs. How does he do? We don't know exactly how he's going to do. Yes, we can look at college film and see what he did. But listen, anyone who's watched this game long enough, uh, you don't have to be a former player or a coach or or a scout or any of this to know this. If you've watched the the, the game of football, college and pro, and understand the transition, if if you've been aware of this long enough, you know very well that... College success and how you succeeded in college does not always translate very well to the NFL. I'm not saying Mahomes won't succeed. I think he absolutely will. I I called for him to to start for a while now. But there are some things that he did in college that will help him in the pros. And there are also some things that he did in college that he won't be able to do, at least regularly in the NFL. You guys may remember Tyler Thigpen and the style of offense the Chiefs ran in 2008. And it was a... Type of offense, spread offense that we saw mostly in college football. And a lot of people thought, well, you're not going to see this last very long. And the Chiefs saw some success with that despite not winning a lot of games that year. Uh, But then eventually we saw that Chiefs offense just slow down. And Tyler Thigpen's level of play eventually went down that season. But nonetheless, uh, there are some things that we we keep in mind. Now I make the Thigpen comment there. Mahomes was drafted in the top 10 uh, in the NFL, whereas Thickman wasn't. So year one with Mahomes, I think it's going to be very interesting. The way I thought the Chiefs were going to go into this, uh, this season with Mahomes, which again, this is his rookie campaign. Yes, he played in week 17, but we all know that had a preseason feel to it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Mahomes essentially played five preseason games in 2017. In 2018, he'll have an offseason where he's going to get a lot of reps. 
and he's going to have another preseason to work with when he tries to move on with this offense. And we'll learn a lot about Mahomes in 2018. The Chiefs have some holes on defense, but they decided to get the home run player on the offensive side of the football. Yes, they got Anthony Hitchens, but the free agent splash was Sammy Watkins, especially considering what this offense already has. Considering the fact that you have Kelsey and Hill returning, you've got running backs, Kareem Hunt, Charkandrick West, Spencer Ware, Chris Conley, and Demarcus Robinson, guys who are contributors on this offense as well. Bearing any injury, this should be a very good offense. And the Chiefs want to give Mahomes the best offense to work with in what is essentially his redshirt rookie year. Here's what I thought the Chiefs were going to do going into 2018 with Mahomes and how they were going to handle the 2018 season, not just from a coaching standpoint, but I think also from a scouting standpoint as well. I thought in 2018 we'd have the same offense. I didn't think they were going to make a big splash like they did in acquiring Sammy Watkins. But I thought the Chiefs would look at the fact that they have four draft picks in the first three rounds for 2019, and they would use those picks to help add more skilled position players for Mahomes, all depending on how Mahomes would do in 2018. If they saw in 2018 that he did better with Kelsey, well, then they'd probably try to add another starting caliber tight end, uh, which, again, you don't see a whole lot on NFL offenses, but it, it could probably work in this offense for Mahomes, especially with the style of offense that Andy Reid runs. If the Chiefs saw that he did better with Tyreek Hill, more so than Travis Kelsey, not saying both of them can't have success, but if he did a little bit better with the wide receiver there, then they tried to bring in another starting caliber receiver opposite of Tyreek Hill. Instead, they've already brought in Sammy Watkins and are expecting him to succeed with one Pro Bowl tight end and two speedy, dangerous wide receivers and guys who are just absolutely fast and I mean, they're pretty dangerous. Let's just say it how it is. These are guys who are capable of doing a lot of damage on opposing NFL offenses. And according to BJ Kissel, who is the team reporter uh, for the Chiefs, he said there were only six wide receivers in the NFL last year who averaged at least 15 yards per reception and had at least seven touchdowns last year. Two of those guys are now with the Chiefs. Tyree Kill being one of them, Sammy Watkins the other guy. So... As I mentioned, you've got Travis Kelsey, you've got Sammy Watkins, you've got Tyreek Hill. That's pretty good. But let's not forget, this is Andy Reid's offense here. This is an offense where running backs, they're very active. Not just on the ground, but also through the air. And just about every running back under Andy Reid, Brian Westbrook, Shady McCoy, Jamal Charles, and now Kareem Hunt have succeeded. And Spencer Ware, Charkandrick West, they both played very well in 2015 when they filled in for Jamal Charles when he suffered that injury. So you know you have that going for Mahomes. As well. this, this offense, it's a dream offense for any QB, especially in this system for Andy Reid. And I know I mentioned three running backs there with Hunt, Ware, and West. They also have Akeem Hunt, as we remember, played on kick return for the Kansas City Chiefs and did some good things there. Played a little bit on offense, uh, especially since Spencer Ware was unavailable this year. And the Chiefs did sign Damian Williams from the Miami Dolphins, who filled in a lot for Jay Ajayi after he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. 
So you got a lot of running backs here, and you know I'm not saying it's guaranteed West and Ware are going to be the backups behind Kareem Hunt. Those would be my predictions as of right now, but of course we'll see what happens in OTAs, training camp, and in preseason games. I think it'll be a little more telling and easier to predict at the time. Uh, but bottom line is, regardless who the running backs are, uh, I, I think really, as I mentioned with some of those names, uh, every running back seems to succeed under Andy Reid. So you know you have that going for Mahomes. Again, this is a dream offense. And Mahomes gets to do this in his first year as the primary quarterback of the team. He'll struggle at times. He'll make mistakes. Again, this is his red shirt rookie year. So, you know, be patient. Bear with him a little bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think more times than not, he will succeed with this stacked offense in 2018. I was curious to know if they would try to wait one season before they try to find a way to stack the offense, whether they do it with tight ends or with receivers. But it seems like they're, they've already made that call. Although I will say, look, I mean, the draft, uh, we're, we always get surprised in the draft. I saw an article on ESPN about how the Chiefs are, or they should, make this a defensive-heavy draft. Listen, you never know sometimes. The first round, that's fairly easy to predict. Maybe a couple of the second-round picks. But after that, uh, you know, everyone's draft board can change at times because we see a lot of surprises in the draft. Guys who were expected to be taken in later rounds get taken in the first round, sometimes in the top 10, top 15. You never know. So you've got to consider that as well. When it comes, considering the Chiefs don't have a first-round pick, they've got a second-round pick. They may take the best player available. There's a possibility a tight end could be there, and that tight end ends up replacing Demetrius Harris. And the Chiefs try to add on to this already stacked offense that they have right now. I talked about the offensive line last podcast. I don't want to get too much into it. I don't think they get as much credit as some people are giving them. Uh, I, I think, and again, they're not great. But they're not as bad as some people try to make it sound to be. So if I'm Patrick Mahomes, look, I'm on cloud nine. This is a great offense that you've got to work with. Now, one thing that he's not on cloud nine about. This one's very interesting. This came out from Ian Rappaport. And Jason Wolf had some additional details to it. Remember what I complained about the Chase Daniel contract in 2013? He signed with the Chiefs, of course, at the time. Former MU quarterback. And uh, came very close to winning a Heisman uh, when he was at MU. I like the move to add Chase Daniel. I certainly did. But I complained about the contract at the time. Three years, $10 million. That's a ton of money for a backup. Well, listen to this. Newly signed Chiefs quarterback Chad Henney. He earned himself a two-year deal. And before I say the money. Before I say how much he's going to make. Keep in mind, Chad Henney... He's thrown only two passes in the last three years. Both of them were last season, by the way, with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He spent the past three, actually four years with the Jaguars. But according to Ian Rappaport, Chad Henney has signed a two-year deal worth $6.7 million. He gets $4.15 million in year one and $5.1 million guaranteed into year two. That's from Rappaport. Rappaport. Jason Wolf gave a little bit of clarity on this. He is a Titans reporter for the Tennessean and for USA Today. He tweeted that the $6.7 million does not include performance incentives nor any escalators. There is a $3.1 million signing bonus 
and a 1.015 base salary in 2018. And there is a $2.5 million base salary in 2019 with $1 million guaranteed. Essentially, here's how it is. Chase Daniel, I complained about that contract. He averaged $3.33 million a year with the Chiefs. Chad Henney, he will make $5.15 million in guaranteed money in his first year with the Kansas City Chiefs. One of the biggest reasons the Chiefs did not retain Nick Foles last offseason was due to the fact that in Foles' contract, there was an option for the Chiefs to retain him, but that would have came at a very hefty price. And I pulled this up. Uh, This uh, was something Adam Schefter reported at the time when the Chiefs did sign Nick Foles. Nick Foles, there was an option to pay him between $6.75 million and $16 million for this past season if the Chiefs were to retain him based on his performance. Now, knowing what we know now, surely would have been worth the money for a guy who eventually became Super Bowl MVP filling in for Carson Wentz. Now, again, and I do want to get into that in just a moment because the next topic I do want to talk about here kind of kind of relates to that a little bit. But point being here, the, the, I mean, quarterbacks are just making so much money now. I mean, players overall, especially in the NBA, NFL, ton of money being made. Uh, look, I get it. NFL contracts are going up. Matthew Safford and Derek Carr, they've done zilch in the playoffs in their careers. And they both got record-breaking contracts last offseason, the same offseason. And playing just five games and leading the 49ers to win all, all of those five games, that was enough for general manager John Lynch and longtime Denver Broncos player to hand Jimmy Garoppolo a five-year deal worth $137.5 million. Look, I said before, backup QBs on all 32 teams eventually are all going to make seven figures. They're going to. Crazy thing, Mahomes, who was a starter for the Chiefs this year, he is, and I mentioned earlier, might not be on cloud nine for this, he's set to make $3.73 million. And he's going to make more than $5 million. Now look, They may not publicize it, but surely this has to irritate Mahomes. I mean, come on. He's human. If I, Mahomes is going to be getting a lot of the reps here. He's going to be playing on the field more often, again, bearing any injury. If I'm doing more work and I'm relied on much more than the guy behind me in a workplace and I get paid less, that certainly would irritate me. But we all know it's just different in pro sports. Why? That I'll never be able to explain. And if you were able to, let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzivasugian. Send me a tweet at Farzine21 or email me Farzine at Farzivasugian.com. This is a topic I definitely want to get into here because I know this is something that a lot of people have discussed uh, over the past year and a half with Andy Reid. And look, I've been very defensive of him uh, for many reasons. And I'll get into that in a moment, but... Uh, people have wanted Andy Reid fired uh, each of the last two after each of the last two playoff losses uh, against the Steelers and against the Titans. Uh, as we know, ever since Andy Reid has gotten here, the Chiefs have had some success. And I wrote about this at ArrowheadAddict.com. Go check it out if you haven't yet. I posted the links on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I won't go into all of the details. I'll let you guys read uh, some of that. 
but I do want to get into the key part of that where, look, we know the Chiefs blew a 28-point lead against the Colts. They scored two touchdowns more than the Steelers, and the Steelers scoring none still beat Kansas City. And the Chiefs blew an 18-point lead against the Titans just recently. So let me just recap. I know it sounds painful, but I've got to do it. They blew a 28-point lead. I don't care where you play. I mean, you've got to be able to maintain that. That's the second largest blown postseason lead in NFL history. They scored two more touchdowns than their opponents and still lost at home after a playoff bye. First team ever in NFL history to score two more touchdowns than their opponents and still lose the game. And, of course, just recently they blew an 18-point lead at home. Andy Reid deserves the most criticism for this. There's there's blame to go all around, but look, man, it, it starts with the head coach. It does. Why why do head co- people always say, well, the coaches aren't playing on the field? Okay, sure. Then why do we hold them accountable? Why do coaches get fired every now and then? A lot of teams go through these changes. Every team at some point in the franchise has fired head coach, and there are reasons for that. And Andy Reid deserves. The most criticism for how the Chiefs have done in the playoffs. When the Chiefs lose games in most of their contests that they lose, it is due, it's two reasons why. One is lack of consistency. They don't play four full quarters sometimes. Sometimes they get away with it. And we saw that a lot in 2016 where the Chiefs, for whatever reason, would only put up a lot of their points or even all of their points in just one quarter or one half and they still escape with a win there. But on a bigger stage, such as the playoffs, we saw how not playing four full quarters came back to hurt them and their luck ran out. The other reason for Kansas City's lack of success in the playoffs, well, the play calling. Uh, That's an obvious one right there. The Chiefs ran a bunch of the same screenplays Back to back to back, in uh, the Titans in the second half, there was a th- this one I I, I want to expand on a little bit here. That third and one play where they call the pass when they have the NFL's leading rusher, and instead of handing it to Kareem Hunt to get that one yard, they threw it to their third string tight end. Now, yes, Orson Charles absolutely should have caught that football. It was right in his hands. Every pro, and even college, and I'll even say high school player, should catch that pass. But at the end of the day, there is a reason why Orson Charles, with all due respect, I don't like to, I know when I say things like this, if anyone makes this kind of a comment, it comes off disrespectful and very critical to someone who you know, has earned the opportunity to play pro football, but there is a reason why Orson Charles is a third-string tight end who was picked up late during the season. And let me just say this too, by the way, because we're criticizing the play call there. Obviously, it worked perfectly up until the drop. Uh, But let me say, Andy Reid got a lot of criticism for passing it when he has the league-leading rusher on his team. And that's that's a... understandable case too. I mean, that's that, 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 those are fair criticisms. Let me just say this though. Unexpected plays and trick plays, if they fail, the coach is a moron. If they work, the coach is a genius and they get all the credit in the world for it. 
For example, Sean Payton a few years ago when he went for the onside kick coming out of the locker room to start the second half in the Super Bowl against the Colts. I mean, if, if that does not go his way, and if the Saints lose that game, oh boy, uh, Sean Payton's answering a lot of questions after the game about that. Doug Peterson, we all remember what happened in the Super Bowl. The, the Patriots tried to throw a pass to Tom Brady, absolutely failed. And right before halftime with Nick Foles, they had this weird play where Nick Foles was walking around uh, pre-snap and unexpectedly... The Eagles snap the football and they throw a touchdown pass to Nick Foles in the end zone right before halftime uh, in just the most recent Super Bowl. So keep that in mind as well. When you criticize a coach for a certain play call like that, understand that, listen, the idea sounds cool. It's great. The execution's a big part of it. And again, that, that third and one play call to Orson Charles, that was 99% perfect. Orson Charles was at the right place, right time. Alex Smith, I mean, he made the right throw. He did what he had to do. And everything, the blocking was there. All of that was there. It was just a drop right there. Now, I'm sure looking back, I mean, maybe Orson Charles, nine times out of ten, maybe he catches that football. I don't know. But I'm sure Andy Reid, looking back, nine times out of ten, would have wished that he would have ran the football. And listen, we've heard this from Andy Reid before where... He didn't hand the ball off often to Jamal Charles, and he admits that he neglected handing the ball to Charles. And that was a huge criticism of Romeo Crennel's in his only year as the head coach of the Chiefs. There was that game against the Raiders where he only handed the ball to Charles, what, four or five times? And as the head coach of the team, he said he did not know why that was the case. And that was just very hard to hear as a fan from, from your head coach when he said that. Now again, going back to that playoff game, Alex Smith, who I mentioned earlier on in the podcast with this, Alex Smith, who was slinging the ball all season and proved that he can throw it deep. He was throwing all kinds of short passes in this playoff game. Why was that? That led me to believe Andy Reid took the play calling duties away from Matt Nagy and obviously did a poor job with it. And if I have defended anybody... The most. It's Andy Reid over the years. It really is. Uh, for various reasons. But this bit reason I've mentioned the most. But all excluded. Th- that, that reason being the 9-0 start after the 2-14 record and the turnaround there. Forget about that for right now. Let's just look at this number exactly. The Chiefs are 54-31 and since 2013. Which is obviously the year Reid arrived in Kansas City. That's the 5th best record in the NFL. New England's number one on that list. Seattle's number two. Denver and Pittsburgh are tied third with a 56-31 and 31 record. Just two games better than Kansas City. Now, we do want to clarify one thing. Obviously, I said the same amount of losses for the Chiefs and for the Steelers and uh, the Broncos. I said the Chiefs are 54-31. and 31. The Broncos and Steelers tied third 56-31. This includes postseason games, just so we're clear on that. So again, fifth best record, just two barely behind the Broncos and the Steelers on this list. So the Chiefs could maybe by the end of the year, since 2013, have the third best record in the NFL. My whole point here is Andy Reid has had a lot of success over the years. I know with Philadelphia, it took him to five conference championships. And he's got the 10th most wins in NFL history, second most among active coaches. 
Now, I mentioned Nick Foles earlier. A lot of people after the Super Bowl were upset and said, well, the Chiefs should have fired Andy Reid and, and, and you know, promoted Nick, uh, or excuse me, promoted Doug Peterson and, and eventually kept Nick Foles. And I just, I, I hear that, and that makes absolutely no sense. Because in 2015, look, sure, who's had the better success as a head coach right now? Nick, uh, clearly, Doug Peterson. He's been head coach for just a couple of years, and he has, already has a ring. Andy Reid doesn't. Now, in 2015, that's when Doug Peterson did a great job and received offers from other teams. After the 2015 season, he got he got hired. Now, to say that the Chiefs should have fired Andy Reid after winning 10 in a row and bringing Kansas City home its first playoff win in 22 years, there's just no way to, to justify that. Yeah, sure, looking back now... Obviously, you would have loved to make that different move. And, and listen, there was some luck there with what happened in, in Philadelphia and landing uh, Nick Foles, and he did a great job filling in. But listen, there's no way of knowing those kinds of things at the time. Again, yes, knowing what we know now. But at the time, two completely different scenarios, and I've seen that being thrown around. That's why I mentioned that. Uh, I posted that on Facebook, and people... Criticized me about it, saying, why are you bringing this up? People were actually criticizing the Chiefs for sticking with Andy Reid and not Doug Peterson, when at the time, that move would have made absolutely no sense. And listen, I'll even say this right now. We'll see We'll, we'll see what the Eagles do. Can they re- repeat that kind of success? Not necessarily win the Super Bowl again, but can they, at, at the very least, go to another NFC title game? Because we see teams that succeed for a little bit. We saw the Seattle Seahawks go to back-to-back Super Bowls, and now they haven't been as dominant. We saw the Kansas City Royals go to back-to-back World Series, and now they're expected to be one of the worst teams. Can the Eagles be that kind of a team that continues that high level of success? We'll see. And if they can, if they do, hey, great on Doug Peterson. But listen, at the end of the day, I still think Andy Reid's the right person to be the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. I know he's had some big flaws in the playoffs and even before the playoffs. We see that with the play calling and the inconsistency and not playing four full quarters. And that is definitely on Andy Reid. He definitely needs to take responsibility for that. And I know he says that I take responsibility. Okay, we, we, we hear that a lot. Uh, it is a simple fix, though. And I just what I'm struggling with is why is it that Andy Reid's not being able to make that simple adjustment? We see what happens when he hands the play calling duties off to another uh, coach on the staff, another offensive coordinator. We saw it with Doug Peterson. They won 10 in a row, and he got a head coaching job. We saw it with Matt Nagy. The Chiefs had that crazy running into a brick wall middle of the season in 2017, but when Matt Nagy got the play calling duties after that Jets game, well, he, I mean, he got it. The first 15 plays, were, okay, they were scripted. That's what pe- a lot of people are saying. After that, Nagy kind of took control. But after that Jets loss, the Chiefs, under Nagy's play calls, they won the last four games of the season. And look what happened. Nagy got a head coaching gig. This is not an accident. There's a reason why Peterson and Nagy got head coaching jobs after they were being given play calling calling duties, and they did a phenomenal job with them. They went undefeated with them. It's a very simple fix that can go a long, long way for the Chiefs. 
Not sure what's not sure why Andy Reid hasn't made that adjustment yet, but if he can just do that and just realize that, and I, I said on the Facebook Live after the loss, if I'm Clark Hunt, I have a sit-down conversation with Andy Reid about that. I don't know if it's happened. Maybe it has. Those things don't get publicized. Hopefully that has been discussed, but for right now, Andy Reid's still the play caller, while Eric Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator. Maybe that changes in season. We will see. Uh, if they do make that change, that probably means Kansas City uh, is, is struggling to start off the season. And that's obviously not something we want to see here. Now look, the Chiefs have won a lot a lot of games under Andy Reid, even with these play-calling duties being mostly on his side. I'm just trying to be optimistic in the fact that he's got the 10th most wins in NFL history. He's second most among active head coaches. And he's had a lot of success in the playoffs. Five conference championship appearances? Look, that's no joke. That doesn't happen accidentally. And I know it's been a while since he's last been to a conference title game. I'm not shying away from that either. It's We're in an era now where people want to know, what have you done lately? And I think Andy Reid's got to be able to prove that he can go back to how he did with the Eagles when he was consistently taking them to conference championship games. Let me know your guys' thoughts on all of this. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine 21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at Farzine If you guys like the podcast, please subscribe, let your friends know about it, share it on social media. Great for the podcast. Definitely helps the podcast grow as it has over the last year. All right, that's really it for all the Chiefs topics. Uh, normally now I start the around uh, I start the closing segment starting with uh, around the NFL, but there is one story around the NFL that I do want to discuss, and it, it, it's kind of a lengthy subject, so I'm going to talk about it now before we do our closing segments. It's a very, very intriguing topic here regarding a Saints cheerleader who was fired for an Instagram post that was considered inappropriate. And she is accusing the Saints and the NFL of gender discrimination because of the Instagram post that was deemed inappropriate. So Jacqueline Bailey Davis, a former cheerleader for the Saints, filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission saying the Saints and the NFL hold female cheerleaders and NFL players, who are obviously all men, to different standards of personal conduct. And from what what I've been reading here, she has a point. And I'm about to read you a list of rules. Seven rules that, uh, you know, the first couple of rules you'll laugh at. But eventually, as as I continue with this list, I think some of you guys are going to be upset with what you're hearing. Especially if you're a woman with with these rules. Uh, Very, very interesting rules that are in place here. According to this complaint... Saints cheerleaders are barred from following any players or coaches on social media. Okay, look, when I first started reading this list, I I read that first list, I chuckled, I said, okay, that seems a little much. But then it adds on. Number two, Saints cheerleaders must block any Saints players who follow them on social media. Okay, alright, I I mean, I I laughed when I heard that. This is... That's just comical. I don't know. I don't get it. Number three, Saints cheerleaders cannot contact players, respond to messages from them, or like any of their social media posts. Now, at this point, I think it's starting to become a little bit childish. 
Because what if a play, what if a cheerleader and a football player on the Saints are longtime friends? Maybe they attended the same high school or college and ended up both being on the same NFL team. Does the cheerleader all of a sudden have to break ties with that friend? Yeah, yeah, I just don't get it. Because that, that's a slim possibility, but it's certainly still possible. I wouldn't, I mean, never say never. Um, again, maybe there was a past connection uh, between a, a cheerleader and an NFL player, and they both end up in New Orleans. Again, does the cheerleader have to break ties, break that friendship with them? I don't know. And this also makes things interesting because former Redskins side and Chris Cooley, he married, married a Redskins cheerleader. Alex Smith's wife, I believe, was an Oakland Raiders cheerleader. I'm assuming Smith and her wife, they met in the Bay Area while Smith was playing in San Francisco. So you've got, you have that. Number four, Saints cheerleaders must not post any images of themselves in Saints gear. Okay, this one I'm kind of intrigued by, and I, I think this is kind of a weird rule, assuming this, this is a rule for the Saints. I know of two Chiefs cheerleaders, uh, one former che- uh, cheerleader from college who no longer is uh, cheering, and another from uh, my high school who currently does cheer on the team. And they both have posted photos of themselves in Chiefs gear. Why is this a rule? I, I, I don't understand it. If anything... Wearing Saints gear and posting it, and even following other players on social media, uh, I feel like that would help promote the team a little bit. So I'm not sure. Uh, That one's kind of intriguing. Number five rule. Saints cheerleaders must not post any images of themselves that are considered, quote, semi-nude or that show them in lingerie. Okay, again, referring to the, uh, the people who I know who have cheered for the Chiefs, currently cheer for the Chiefs. Uh, this rule seems a little weird because, uh, I've seen what they've posted on there and that goes against this rule. Again, I know two different teams, but it seems weird that an NFL team still has this rule considering they are cheerleaders, by the way, and what they wear. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there is a group photo of Chiefs cheerleaders at a beach, all of them in a two-piece swimsuit holding a Chiefs Kingdom flag. So, you know, those last two rules I read, and considering, you know, what I know of with and who I know of with people who have been involved with Chiefs cheerleading, I just find that very intriguing. Uh, I feel like there there's something behind those two rules that maybe we, we, aren't, we aren't reading or we haven't heard yet. Number six, this is where things are starting to get very interesting. Saints cheerleaders must avoid making eye contact and move to the side if they encounter a player in the tunnel that leads to the stadium. Alright, the whole moving aside thing, I get it. Uh, Security at any event will form a line or put up some sort of line tape to stop fans, uh, photographers, media, employees, whoever, cheerleaders in this case also, to let the players get through in and from the locker room and to the stadium or the arena. Allen Fieldhouse, uh, the uh, the arena, the basketball floor, and the locker rooms, they're not connected. In order for the players to go in and out uh, from the uh, arena and to the locker room, they have to essentially go through a hallway where there are a lot of fans. So what they do for both the visiting team and the home team at Allen Fieldhouse, they will block the area for just about a minute and let the players and coaches all get through. Uh, and once they're they've all, they're all in the locker room, or once they all get to the arena floor, they can all move on and 
you know, life is good. That part I understand. But the whole eye contact thing, come on. Please. Uh, do they really, do the Saints think Drew Brees or someone will get distracted if they see a pretty Saints cheerleader? Look, these guys are pros. They already know not to let attractive women distract them when they're on the field, when it's game time. They're not in middle school. Here's the last rule, and this one, I, I was I was flabbergasted when I read this rule. A Saints cheerleader must leave a restaurant, a bar, or a party if an NFL player is already there or arrives after. And again, they don't say a Saints player, they say an NFL player. So, I'm just a Saints player. Uh, this is This is starting to get a little weird here. Any NFL player in the same place as a Saints cheerleader, the cheerleader's got to go. Why? I mean, what? I mean, what if? What if? Uh, I mean, what if you're at a restaurant? What if a Saints cheerleader is on a one side of the building? And again, with certain restaurants, I mean, some of them are too big that you know there, there are a lot of seating areas, and uh, you know you can't see the entire restaurant from a certain spot in, in the building. Some restaurants that are fairly small, you can see the entire restaurant, depending where you're standing. If a Saints cheerleader is sitting on one end, and an NFL player is sitting in a completely different part of the uh, the building in the restaurant, I mean, look, how is a Saints cheerleader supposed to know if an NFL player is present? Here's the other thing. A lot of NFL players have helmets, so not every NFL player is recognizable. I'll just say this right now. If D Ford is out in public... I highly doubt he gets recognized. Yeah, sure, first round draft pick, we saw his face and all in press conferences, but we don't really see a whole lot of him nowadays because he's not one of the prominent players on the team. If Anthony Hitchens was out in Kansas City at Joe's KC Barbecue, I don't know if a lot of people will recognize him because, first of all, he's a new player on the team. He's not necessarily the most prominent player in the NFL, so, and because, again, these guys all have helmets on, we, we don't know exactly what they look like. Uh, I, I guarantee you, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, I don't know if a lot of players would recognize him out in public. You get the idea. So there's a possibility that a Saints cheerleader might be somewhere, might be sitting right next to an NFL player at a bar, and might not even know it. So this rule, this is this is a, a kind of a fishy rule here. I, I, I just don't under, understand this. Um, because look, okay, let me just say this. Social media rules, that's one thing. But to apply a rule about where they can't be outside of a workplace, if an NFL player is there, I just think that's completely asinine and ridiculous. What is this? I'm on this woman's side here when she complains about gender discrimination. This isn't a private school where it's only all boys or all girls. I mean, this is an NFL this is an NFL team, and they've got some very odd rules for its cheerleaders. Again, from the two Chiefs cheerleaders I mentioned of, I can assure you some of these rules, they just don't add up. Again, maybe the Saints have these rules and other teams don't, and if that's the case, that's kind of weird. Um, I'll, just say, I'll just say this, the social media photos, that does not apply to the Chiefs at least. I will say this, I put on my social media stocking skills on for a quick minute and checked both of their Twitter profiles of the cheerleaders that I know of. One thing very interesting I, I didn't even realize, they don't follow Chiefs players. I, I was kind of intrigued by that. Didn't understand why. 
That was interesting to me. Perhaps the league could be trying to prevent player-cheerleader connections. If so, I kind of think it's dumb. Listen, I, I've said I've shared the story before on the podcast. I knew of a girl from college who was involved in pageants. We hung out a couple of times with our group of friends at the, uh, at the time in college. Um, uh, we went on a couple of dates. She was Miss Teen Kansas and competed in other competition, uh, pageant competitions. And uh, we were hanging out once, and she showed me uh, on her Twitter that there are pro athletes who follow her. Uh, Chiefs players follow her, Royals players, a lot of college players follow her. Uh, as a matter of fact, and I've shared the story again, I, I'm not going to say the name of, of, the, of the player, but a former Jayhawk in the NBA followed her back. And again, she's following them because she's, she, she's a KU student and fan. Uh, so it makes sense to follow Jayhawks in the NBA. I mean, look, you can follow anybody. I mean, there are really no guidelines as to who you can and can't follow. Um, but she followed this former Jayhawk who's in the NBA. That player DM'd her and asked to exchange numbers. So listen, these players, they can follow any attractive, attractive woman on social media. So if the if the NFL has some weird ban that cheerleaders and players can't connect on social media, why is that? Um either the NFL had an incident between a player and a cheerleader that was never publicized and the media never knew about it, or we have some really strange rules in place that make no sense because like I said, players can talk to any woman online. Not every attractive woman is an NFL or pro sports cheerleader or a dancer. Tom Brady's wife, she's a super model. The Kardashians, they've dated a lot of pro athletes, including NFL players. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a story that came out on Wednesday that Danny Amendola broke up with a woman who was a model, uh, and the broke up had something to do with a nude shoot for Sports Illustrated swimsuit photos. Point being, she's, she's obviously an attractive model if she's doing nude shoots. One thing from the ESPN article I want to read, Davis's attorney, Sarah Blackwell, shared documentation and emails showing such policies, including specific rules, that Saints cheerleaders can be terminated if they exchange numbers with anyone from the Saints or the NBA's New Orleans Pelicans or any other NFL or NBA team. Message them on social media, appear in the same VIP section in a club or in the same dinner table, or, quote, even had a conversation with one of them that lingered beyond a professional, quote, hello, or, quote, great game. Uh, this is a very, very odd uh, rule that we've got here. Uh, and I think the NFL, they need to speak up about this. Because, again, like I said, we have NFL players who are married to cheerleaders. Alex Smith is, is one of them. Chris Cooley married a player, or, or excuse me, he married a cheerleader on the same team. So I'm not exactly sure what happened. Maybe something happened at some point that, again, we just don't know about. Uh, but if the NFL wants to put a ban on uh, player-cheerleader connections, that's just flat-out stupid because players easily can follow back any attractive woman that's following them, and who's to say an incident can't happen there? I mean, listen to, look at, listen to all of these incidents. We, we've heard it over the years. There are a lot of incidents out there that involve an NFL player and a woman and just some sort of 
just, just something bad and embarrassing that gets out there in the public. It can happen with anyone, not just a cheerleader. So I'm not exactly sure what exactly is going on here with the NFL. I'd love to hear the NFL on the same side of things. And I think this is definitely a story worth following up on. This is not necessarily an NFL topic. This is more of a... I mentioned this already, and this is what Davis is, is trying to make a case for. This is this is a strong gender discrimination issue here, and the NFL is a part of it. Listen, the NFL has a lot of things they've got to answer for. There was a, uh, a, a player who's going to be uh, a, a draft hopeful. He was asked uh, by uh, by a, an NFL coach or a scout uh, about homosexuality. The Atlanta Falcons were criticized heavily couple of years ago because they asked a player straight up if he is gay and people reacted saying well look they want to test their reactions to certain things because NFL players do trash talking and they may call someone gay just to just to upset them and if that's the case that's absolutely wrong so the NFL the things that come out here and listen nowadays everything comes out just a few months ago there was just this crazy string of sexual harassment allegations that came out and i'm not saying this is a sexual harassment allegation but my my point is anything that seems like a crazy violation with equal opportunity employment uh that that will get out and this is one of those stories here and gender discrimination especially in an era where women are supposed to be seen as equal to men uh but obviously in this situation it's just very weird that cheerleaders could be at fault for any kind of social media connection, but a player doesn't. That is something that definitely needs to be reviewed or the NFL needs to speak up and give some sort of an answer on this because it does not look good on their end right now. Let me know your thoughts on this subject. This is another subject, subject very intriguing, probably one of the more intriguing subjects I've discussed on this podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, Twitter.com slash Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at Farzine Vesugian. Dot com. Time to wrap up the show. Let's start by going around the NFL. The NFL has a couple of rule changes. We'll talk about two of those. One new rule change. The NFL banning players from lowering their helmets during hits. Thank you. Why do NFL players even do this? This is a great way to create all of those head injuries that we talk about. And those former players who want to sue the NFL and accuse them of not protecting players, these players are not protecting themselves. When they go with these head-to-head collisions, that's on them. And now the NFL has a very strong rule about it. QB sneaks, that's kind of interesting here. I'm not quite sure how that's going to be taken into consideration. But there is now a 15-yard penalty for lowering your head while trying to make contact, and it's a damn good rule, especially for safety reasons. Another rule change that I definitely want to get into, one that's been controversial, the NFL catch rule. The infamous catch, no catch, what is a catch? NFL players no longer have to, quote, survive the ground in order to complete a catch. That means Jesse James, his catch, uh, Jesse James of the Steelers, uh, he had that controversial catch-no-catch against the Patriots near the end of the season. And that is one that would count now under this rule. Des Bryant's catch in the playoffs in 2014, that would have counted. 
under and I call them catches because they were they were considered incompletions at the time but now under this rule they would be considered as a catch I think Calvin Johnson's weird catch that happened in week one of either 2009 or 2010 can't remember which uh, which year uh, but th- that was one of the biggest headlines coming out of the first week of the NFL season uh, and he had a, uh, a reception that was called a touchdown and then it was overturned and I think now under this rule that would also have been considered a catch let's just hope this finally extinguishes all of the catch no catch drama because that's not something the NFL needs I'll tell you what else the NFL does not need another defensive star going to the LA Rams the Rams signed nose tackle and Dominican Sue they traded for Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib in steals from Kansas City and Denver. Look, at this point, I'm waiting for Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter to just, just publish a tweet saying that Earl Thomas has been traded to L.A. The Rams are stacked on defense. And that Rams defense versus Kansas City's offense when these two teams meet in Mexico City, that should be a very fun one. I really hope both teams are pretty healthy going into that because... I really want to know which stack team is going to do better, that Rams defense or the Chiefs offense. I truly do think that's the most exciting matchup to me uh, for any Chiefs game going into 2018. Those two teams will meet. That'll be in Mexico City. And by the way, I know a lot of people are talking about egos on the team with Peters, Tlaib, and, and now Sue. And uh, a lot of people are talking about, talking about Wade Phillips and how... He should be able to handle them. He's dealt with a lot of players in the past, and this is really nothing new for him. This is old hat for him. I think he'll certainly be able to handle these guys and, and teach them the thing or two about keeping their emotions in check and keeping that maturity because, look, we know one immature move can definitely cost you big and can really hurt you in the long run. So, look, this Rams defense, hopefully those guys can all stay healthy and avoid any kind of immature actions on the field or off the field because this really does have the potential to this team, this Rams team, they can go very far. Uh, and again, I, I'd love to see that Rams and Chiefs matchup because that Rams defense and Chiefs offense, those are some stacked teams there. And I think th- those two head-to-head, that'll be a very fun clash to watch in Mexico City. Those fans south of the U.S., the, the neighbors south of, uh, of the United States, they're definitely going to be in for a treat with that matchup there. So I think that is going to be very fun to watch. Let's go out of bounds. Royals baseball starting up by the time, depending when you're listening to the podcast, the season has probably already started by now. Uh, But man, some unfortunate news that's been revealed with the Royals. Salvador Perez, for his MCL carrying luggage up the stairs uh, at a house helping his family move and it's out six to eight weeks just a very very unfortunate injury for a really likable guy a guy who honestly you can't say anything bad about and uh, no, no one deserves to get injured but uh, I mean a guy like Salvi everyone loves the guy and this is just really unfortunate this kind of reminds me of Zach Cummings who is a UFC fighter from Kansas City he was supposed to have a fight in January in St. Louis and when he was doing his white cup when he was getting out of the uh, out of the tub he slipped and cracked his skull and that is that was just very unfortunate to hear I mean we, we hear freak accidents like this sometimes and you, you never want to hear that injuries are, are already bad enough when they happen you know in your personal life when you're helping a family member move or you're just getting out of a tub 
Uh, I, I mean, that's just unfortunate. It really is. I will say this, though. I really like Drew Butera, the backup catcher for the Royals. I think he's shown that he is capable of being a starter, and I think he can prove that in these six to eight weeks or however long Salvador Perez is going to be out for. And I think he can prove that he can be a starting catcher in the league somewhere. Uh, perhaps the Royals could get some offers during the season from him if Butera does well uh, up until Perez comes back. That is definitely something to keep an eye on. Obviously, a lot of you guys are going to be keeping an eye on the Jayhawks this weekend. They are in the Final Four. Listen, I was wrong about self. I- I've been heavily cr- critical of him. I still stand by the fact that he has way too many earlier exits. Now, listen, I'll play devil's advocate and just say, look, uh, if if a team is consistently in the NCAA tournament year after year, odds are, I mean, look, there are times where they will make the Final Four and there are times where they're going to have early exits. Duke has had early exits. North Carolina this year, uh, of course, with an early exit. So uh, all of the big-name basketball programs out there, they've suffered early exits before. I feel like with KU, it's been more consistent. That's been my biggest cr- uh, criticism of Bill Self, especially in the Elite Eight. Not that an Elite Eight is considered an early exit, but man, the Jayhawks get there quite a lot, and that seems to be a, a stopping point for them, but not this year. Bill Self deserves a lot of credit getting over that hump. Crazy part is, uh, you know, this, this sounds weird for a number one seed, but Kansas hasn't played great necessarily. They're doing good enough to win, and obviously they're doing well enough to get to the Final Four, but they haven't, and Bill Self even said, they haven't necessarily played their best basketball yet. Keep in mind in 2012 as a two seed, the Jayhawks trailed for almost the entirety of a lot of their NCAA tournament games, and they still made it to the national title games. They, uh, a lot of times they would take a lead early on, and they wouldn't take another lead until very late in the game, and they would survive a lot of games during the tournament that year, and they made it to the national title game against Kentucky, one commonality Bill Self and Andy Reid have as coaches, they coach their players to the point where they their players will battle it out till the very end. Even if they come across a lot of adversity, a lot of roadblocks in games, they'll find a way to, to overcome it. And again, KU hasn't dominated their opponents necessarily in this tournament. They allowed Clemson to nearly come back uh, at the end of that one. They've revealed that they have some holes, and they're certainly beatable. Any, anyone's certainly beatable if you can exploit their holes. Uh, but they played better against Duke. They certainly did. And Bill Self found a way to get the team to the Final Four. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. Another coach, a local coach who deserves a lot of credit, definitely Bruce Weber of the Kansas State Wildcats. Listen, I didn't think the Wildcats would make it this far. I really didn't. This team doesn't have the national title poise that a lot of people on paper uh, would not agree with. But listen, this is why you don't play games on paper, on those brackets. Uh, you, you play them out. And Bruce Weber deserves a lot of credit for how far he took KSU. Yes, they played a 16 seed in the in their round of 32. But look, man, you can only play who you have to play. It's not like they created their own schedule in this tournament to get to the Elite Eight. Uh, I mean, they beat Kentucky, Okay. Uh, I think that the Wildcats certainly earned their spot in the Elite Eight and could have came close to going to a Final Four. Uh, so they beat Kentucky. Weber is due for a big payday in Manhattan. I certainly do think so. And he deserves a lot of credit. And going back to the KU thing for just one moment, what I think is so crazy is this is the team that a lot of people thought as the season went on would not win the Big 12 and that the streak would finally be snapped. 
To me, what's so crazy, and I don't want to say I have not accepted this because they're in the final four. You, we have to accept this. I think what I'm just struggling to, I, I guess, understand is how was it that this team made it to the final four, but some of the other past teams the Jayhawks have had in recent history have not been able to because KU has had a lot of great talent. Uh, of course, Wiggins and Embiid, Selden, I mean, those years. I mean, Wiggins and Embiid only for a couple of years. Selden was here for, uh, excuse me, Wiggins and Embiid only for one year. Selden was here for a couple of years. Um, but for that, 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 those guys never got to go to a Final Four, which is crazy to, to think. So, uh, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day. Uh, it's good to see that this KU team, who a lot of people probably have labeled as maybe the softest or quote-unquote worst team that won a uh, a Big 12 conference during this streak, and yet they've made it to a Final Four. So they certainly earned their spot, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they do this weekend in San Antonio. Keep in mind, last time they were in San Antonio, we know what happened there. The Jayhawks won and did it in crazy fashion against Memphis, uh, becoming national champions. Final segment of the show, time to throw a couple of penalty flags. I'm sure you guys have heard this story, Uh, just the uh, unfortunate turn of events, um, just the stories that have come out out of Schlitterbahn, the water park in Kansas City. For those who don't know the story, there was a young boy, uh, I don't remember his age, Uh, it was a young boy, but uh, this was really the end of the summer two years ago, where a boy and two adults were riding on the Verrucht, which was supposed to be the biggest steep that any water park could could have and uh this boy was suffered a i mean he died on the on the ride was decapitated and there have been a lot of talks about the park uh, the ride is still up because it's still they're still being they're still investigating it which a lot of people wondered what is it they're looking at and now we know why that ride is still up and what they're investigating well the director of operations and the co-owner of Schlitterbahn, they are facing a lot of trouble. Legal trouble, that is. Uh, facing charges for certain incidents that they tried to cover up. Both have been arrested this month. Do I think this story is where it is now because the boy's father is a politician in Kansas? Yes, certainly. But if anything, an example does need to be made of this. And Schlitterbahn should absolutely be in trouble for this. And, and really... Uh, the park doesn't have much of a case here. I'm sure they they have a press release trying to defend the actions and everything. But look, the, the ride looks dangerous. Do I think there should be some self-responsibility on picking uh, what to ride and not ride? Yes, for sure. But if, if a park says it is safe and if it's open for customers to get on and ride and if something goes wrong, it is on them. So look, all the... Blame that Schlitterbahn's taking now, and I know the the family, uh, the brothers and sisters of the of the boy. Uh, I mean, look, they, they've gotten a lot. They got a twenty million dollars settlement, from what I read. I know a lot of Royals players, Eric Hosmer at the time, Mike Mustaka, Salvador Perez. A lot of them hung out with these kids to try to lift their spirits up a little bit. Uh, I mean, this family's really gotten a lot of attention. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but uh, people. I mean, there's been a lot of support for this family just to. Uh, just to be there for them and 
Uh, really, where it's gotten to now, I mean, it's just it's just rough. It really is. And look, I've been to Schlitterbahn. It's a fun place. Uh, but considering what's been revealed now about them, it, it would be hard for me to believe that people are going to be willing to go spend their money there after what they have done and the way that they have done business. Not good at all. And if they're certainly found guilty in all of this, uh, this would not be good at all for the park. And maybe it's it, other Schlitterbahn parks across the country could be shutting down as well. You never know, but uh, this is not good at all. And of course, it's in Kansas City. It's never a story you want in your backyard to be talked about nationally. And here's one MMA fighter who got talked about nationally for all the wrong reasons. Uh, This guy, uh, an MMA fighter who fought for LFA, he made his pro debut. He KO'd his opponent who, uh, who fell on his face. And so the the winner who got the knockout in his pro debut, he does a front flip on top of his KO'd opponent. And as soon as he did this flip, the referee immediately disqualified him and he lost the fight that he won, which was 100% deserved. This is absolutely disgraceful. This kind of reminds me recently of the Kansas high school player who pushed another kid midair going for the dunk into the post which was completely uncalled for. Same case here, completely uncalled for. This fighter should serve a heavy heavy punishment and a suspension by all athletic commissions and should not be allowed to fight for a while. Uh, this is just completely unacceptable. unacceptable. MMA fighters demand respect. That move was completely disrespectful. And in a sport where martial arts is about respect, you don't do that. I know MMA today, there are a lot of people flipping off their opponents, whatnot. Uh, okay, whatever, but don't do this. Come on. There are guys who have had back and forth banters, personal things said, and they still shake hands after a fight. This is completely disrespectful. I guarantee you that DQ'd fighter himself, if this happened to him, he would certainly have been complaining. This is not good at all. Definitely deserves a strong punishment for this. Alright, I've talked about this subject several times. Ronda Rousey who everyone has heard of. Ronda, whether you watch the UFC or not, Ronda started off her career amazingly, was undefeated, was 10-0, or uh, 12-0. I'll pull her record up real quickly. Uh, But she was undefeated for a very long time, and she became the most dominant athlete and was very well known. It was 12 consecutive fights, by the way. 12 fights... And she finished a lot of her opponents in under 30 seconds. She won a lot of her matches in quick fashion. She became a star. She earned acting gigs. On a uh, w- Now she's with WWE Raw. She's left MMA, it seems like, at least for now. She recently was interviewed by ESPN uh, shortly after her Royal Rumble appearance. And she was asked about her losses to Amanda Nunes and Holly Holm. And she just looked at the ground... With this very sad face and didn't want to answer the question. Now, just recently, Rhonda did an interview with a lot of different ESPN shows. They call it the ESPN car wash, which means you know you you appear on one ESPN show, Sports Center, First Take. Uh, you you appear on a lot of them. Tom Mahali did this a couple of years ago. Uh, basically, for those who are familiar, you guys are all familiar with ESPN. There's ESPN, the regular ESPN, ESPN2, all the ESPN radio shows. 
Ronda Rousey pretty much appeared on all of them. That's what the ESPN car wash is. So Ronda did her uh, ESPN uh, round of interviews there, her, her, her ESPN tour there. And she was asked a couple of times about MMA. Now keep in mind, Ronda is in, uh, because she's in WWE, she has to be in an acting role here. She has to promote her character in WWE with WrestleMania just around the corner. Uh, At one point, she talked about how people have asked her, you know, what's the reception been like since you got to WWE? And one of her responses was, well, it's not been great with my bosses, Stephanie McMahon and Triple... Okay, come on. Look, if your bosses really had an issue with you, you would not be there. This is obviously a storyline now we're talking about. She talked about getting uh, approached by Absolution. I had no idea what that was, but then I did research and learned that's a a group. A group of female wrestlers in the WWE. Uh, so she, she talks about that. And at one point in, uh, in an ESPN interview with Mike Golick, I'm going to play two audio clips for you guys. This is a question from Mike Golick about MMA. What you don't see, what doesn't resonate with this podcast, you can't see things. Rhonda has the most confused slash angry looking face that a person could have here's the audio clip let's go back and and start with when you knew from the the mma when you were done there when you said when you knew in your mind i'm not going to fight anymore i never said that ah so there is a possibility that you could go back in time there's a possibility that I could go back in time. That's go, your question to me. Go back in time and, and, and fight. Go back in the octagon. I do not have the ability to go back in time, no. No. Would you fight again? I don't know. Okay. Horribly worded question. Can you go back in time? Uh, I mean, that was horribly worded. However, Rhonda knew what, what he was at. Rhonda's no dummy. She knew what he was asking. You all know what that question meant. I know what he meant with that question. Here's another interview he did. I believe on ESPN First Take with Stephen A. and Max Kellerman. Oh boy, do things get awkward in this one. Check it out. Okay, Rhonda, what they didn't play in that preview that they heard Stephen A. and me talking about you was I said that you were a woman who threw your fighting when it when you became such a big deal that when you lost it's like the earth stopped spinning on its axis and that's the part i chose to focus on after your loss in the w in the ufc like why is everyone talking about oh my god she lost is she over all these kind of things when you achieved such heights that one loss the whole world stopped and noticed it why do you think there was a kind of negative backlash to you after the loss um. In other words, people, in, in, you must be aware, in the, in the MMA world, there was a lot of talk, well, she was overrated, she was this, she was that, and my point of view was, at the time and remains, that you achieved amazing heights. Almost no one wins forever. Everyone suffers setbacks. But there seemed to be like an unusual amount of negative pushback after your loss. Did you, did you not experience that? I experience a lot of people who quote some people that are really just afraid to state their own opinion. Do you think it's my opinion? 
That, no, that's not my opinion. I can tell you right now, that's not my opinion. I thought you achieved amazing things. I was and am, remain a big fan of your fighting and of you. That's not, that's not me saying some people meaning me. That is me saying I read and heard from others and defended you. Well, thank you for defending me. I appreciate that. Okay. Good Lord. I mean, come on. I've said this before on this podcast. And this is a topic that I'm very passionate about because, look, I think, you know, as someone who's in the media, I do this podcast, I've interviewed a lot of players before, uh, and let me just say this, in my time covering sports and getting a chance to interview players, I've covered a lot of teams, I've covered a lot of bad teams. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, there have been a lot of down years before Andy Reid got here. Uh, I covered the Kansas Jayhawks for a couple of years while I was a student there for the uh, student radio and, and uh, newspaper there. And I talked to a lot of players that, that came across uh, losing seasons for the KU football team. Uh, and those certainly weren't easy to do, but those guys still showed up and t- spoke to the media after every loss. Um, trust me, I understand. I know they're not thrilled. They would rather be... They would rather be back in their apartments in their dorm rooms, uh, not even wanting to address these losses. Uh, so look, I know they're not excited to talk about these things, but at the end of the day, look, don't be a sore loser about it. Uh, here's the thing: when you have a problem with anything in life, one of the easier, one of the things that that helps is to at least talk about it with somebody. And, and I look, I, I get if Rhonda didn't want to talk for maybe a week. But the Holly Holm loss was two years ago. The Amanda Nunes loss was a year ago. And she still has some sort of, uh, like, like MMA, just, uh, listen, no one's discrediting her for what she created and what she accomplished. But people are going to forget about that because of how she's acting now. Again, we talked earlier on the podcast. What have you done for me lately? And lately with Rhonda... People are just remembering how she left MMA as a sore loser. She recently did, and this was before the ESPN interviews, she recently did uh, a segment on Monday Night Raw for WWE. And she made a very, just a completely crazy comment. Listen to this. I remember my last fight walking away thinking God hates me. Oh my God. No pun intended, but I mean, gosh, like, why is she so hard on herself? I get it. She has high standards and she lost a fight that, you know, she thought she lost two fights. She thought she could have won. She was favored in both of those fights. But I mean, gosh, it's not the end of the world. I mean, she's really acting like, again, it's been more than a year with one of the losses and two years from the Holly Holm loss, the infamous Holly Holm uh, match. But crying out loud i mean she's acting like it's the end of the world or something and to say god hates you i mean you were 12 and 0 in mma and with your horrible acting skills you got plenty of acting gigs and even modeling gigs and now you're in the wwe you're already the biggest name in in the wwe right now and you've only been there for a couple of months if god hates you i sure hope god hates me because if if God hates you and is putting you in in, in position to to have all this kind of success, man, uh, I mean I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, you want to talk about God hating you and all the success you have? She got paid $3 million to lose to Amanda Nunes in her return, and she lost in 48 seconds. Her opponent, Nunes, made only $30,000 that night. You want to talk about God hating you? I mean, do you know how many people in this world are suffering with living paycheck to paycheck? I mean, so many starving kids out there. Uh, people who in the hospital who are dealing with horrible health issues. You want to say God hates you? She went on Ellen's show after the Holly Holm loss, and she said that she felt suicidal. Look, she goes on Ellen or Conan, and they ask about MMA. They don't ask the hard-pressed questions. They don't ask the journalistic questions. The questions are meant to be more towards them so that they can kind of control the narrative. And listen, I know I made a big deal about the subject for a long time, but good Lord, just hearing these, this is embarrassing. She was completely rude and disrespectful when when doing these interviews and talking about MMA. And the losses. Honestly, look, I know I, I, I'd probably continue to criticize her, but I think she would have just been better off staying silent and not doing any interviews. Because look, she's supposed to be in her WWE form. And to my, I don't watch WWE, but I know she's got a tag team match with Kurt Angle coming up where she's going to fight Triple H and, and Stephanie McMahon. She's supposed to be the face, which is supposed to be the good guy in WWE. So to give off that kind of a vibe... When you're supposed to be kind of in character mode when you do your WWE interview on ESPN. I, I mean, you've got to be able to to nullify that attitude. And I say the character part because I remember on The Weakest Link a few years ago, WWE wrestlers were on. And every time they got eliminated, they were like, oh, I'm going to beat this guy at SummerSlam or Survivor Series. Whatever the pay-per-view was. Because they were trying to promote the WWE a little bit more in some of the upcoming pay-per-views, which is understandable. She was obviously there to promote herself and, and promote WrestleMania. But to, to give off that vibe when she's supposed to be the good guy in the WWE uh, right now, uh, that just looked bad on her. Uh, from a WWE standpoint and also on a personal standpoint, I just think it was completely rude and disrespectful of her to talk the way she did. It just comes off like a sore loser Several other terms that I, I, I can't really use on here right now, but man, I think everyone knows what I'm talking about here. Um, if if you were in college or high school and you came across someone like this who spoke like that, thank you for defending me. I can't go back in time. Look, I get it. Maybe those are some poorly worded questions, but everyone knows what those questions were about. And Ronda just continues to dodge him because for whatever reason, she's got a a big sensitivity issue with all of this. She keeps bragging that her family, her husband, uh, also a UFC fighter, eventually they got married. They've been so supportive for her and have helped her. If that's been the case, you should be able to to comfortably talk about these losses. Uh, You know, she she really uh, berated Holly Holm before the fight. She went on on an Instagram post. And said so many horrible things about her. There was another UFC fighter who congratulated Holly Holm, Paige Van Zandt. And apparently Ronda Rousey went off on Paige Van Zandt. And I'm sure if MMA reporters get the chance, they'll bring that up. Ronda was excused from promoting her fight uh, last December because... uh, According to the UFC, she's done a lot of media before. And we're going to give her a chance to uh, focus on the fight and not do interviews. Complete BS. She just didn't want to discuss the Holly Holm loss. 
Uh, again, the longer she does this, the more she allows for people to criticize her. And rightful, people say that Ronda Rousey doesn't know anyone in explanation. Fair enough. That's fine. At the same time, if this is how she acts, people are allowed to criticize her for that kind of behavior. It's childish. It's immature. And that is not how an undefeated 12-0 champion of a combat sports league should act. Not at all. Everyone loses an MMA. No one goes in an entire MMA career undefeated. That is impossible to do. And there have been some fighters who have talked a lot of trash recently and they lost their undefeated record, but they still show up, talk to the media. Look at Conor McGregor. Uh, when he lost to Nate, Nate Diaz, he still came back strong. Sure, he lost a boxing match to Floyd. At the end of the day, I think he also won because of the amount of money he made. But you get the idea. I, I mean, look, it's not the end of the world for these guys. They can bounce back. Ronda can bounce back. And if she wants to leave MMA and do WWE, fine, just say it. Don't give the runaround with these questions and just come off like a sore loser. Uh, it, it's just, it, she, she, people have said that, you know, she's such a role model uh, when she was undefeated. And she loved hearing those things. She loved being talked about. But now in this manner, she can't have it both ways. You just can't have it both ways in this world, folks. You can't. I, I learned that a long time ago. Uh, my parent, Fortunately, I, I've had parents who have taught me that that lesson. You just can't have it both ways. And I hope, you know, whether it's your parents or other adults, teachers, whoever, coaches, anybody in your life who've been able to, to show that to you. You just can't have things both ways in life. Rhonda wants that. She doesn't want to be held accountable or answer any questions about her losses. And it just looks very bad. Just looks bad. But gosh, that God hates me comment. That's bold. I hope God hates me. I mean, if if God hates Rhonda, seems seems like a lie to me. Let me know your guys' thoughts on everything we discussed on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzine Like and follow me on there. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can also send me an email, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. A lot we discuss on this podcast. Of course, the Kansas Chiefs in the Final Four. Looking forward to that. The Royals opening day this week. The start, not so good with Perez going up. Maybe some good luck with Butera, we'll see. But of course, with Pat Mahomes, what is to be expected with this offense? The contract with Chad Henney, talked about that as well. And also Andy Reid in the adjustments. Easy adjustments he can make, but hasn't done it yet. And of course, other topics with the Saints cheerleader and Ronda Rousey. A lot we discussed on this episode of the Chiefs Home Podcast. Let me know your guys' thoughts on everything on social media. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you like it. Share it with your friends. Spread the word. Let your friends know about the podcast. Uh, Share it on on social media. They help the podcast greatly as we continue to grow. Big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. We will talk to you guys next week. It'll be the month of April, the month of the draft, and we'll continue to get closer. And we'll talk about the NFL draft and what the Chiefs could do specifically. We've talked a little bit about it. We'll dive more into that next week. Take care.